I will keep fighting to bring peace to humans and robots. This is Mega Bluster. I'm Stefan, and this is part 11 of our very, very long look at the Mega Man franchise. This time around, Mega Man 3, The Robots Are Revolting, released for the Microsoft Disk Operating System in 1992. Once a medium crosses a certain threshold of popularity, the number of creators who were fans first and makers second invariably swells, and the number of mad geniuses truly breaking new ground dwindles. That's not to say that the medium then becomes less vital or impactful. Quite the opposite, in fact. Consuming prior to creation gives makers an opportunity to reflect on how and why a particular medium speaks to them, to understand and challenge its embedded conventions, and to create something interesting in response to them. In Hollywood, the technical innovations of the silent era gave way to the golden age of the studio system, a period of marvelous invention that produced many of the greatest films of all time. Yet the popular histories written today more often look at the New Hollywood period of the 1960s and 70s as more inventive and revolutionary. Perhaps this is because most of Hollywood's Golden Age titans are dead, but their boomer heirs are still around to self-aggrandize. But perhaps it's also because the people making films in the 60s and 70s were better equipped to push boundaries because of their lifetime consuming the works of their forebears. Steven Spielberg himself credits watching Lawrence of Arabia as a particularly life-changing experience, one that showed him the possibilities and power of film. And George Lucas's greatest successes were at least as much a reflection of his influences as they were pure invention. Yet neither filmmaker's work has been any less impactful for their inspirations. The point is that a medium invariably evolves to the state where people who become its most important makers begin their lives as fans. And when they cross the threshold separating fan from maker, they bring with them the love held and lessons learned from all that's come before. Now, one surprising aspect of video games development as a medium over the last half century is how quickly fans began to cross that line from fan to maker. Perhaps it's the active nature of the medium, the way it forces players to engage with it, that sparks certain creative juices and inspires players to consider how they might respond to what they've played. Or perhaps it's just that the human mind's output is directly influenced by its input, and the sheer volume of video games created over the last five decades constitutes one heck of an input. In his at-the-time gargantuan but retrospectively digestible review of Pac-Man, Tim Rogers remarked that, quote, Every video game after Pac-Man is Pac-Man 2. 
Super Mario Brothers is more Pac-Man 2 than Ms. Pac-Man is Pac-Man 2. The thought experiment contained within the phrase Pac-Man 2 will thus remain a splinter in every game designer's mind, dooming us to forever assess every new video game landmark in terms of its distance from Pac-Man." If Pac-Man invites us to consider what it would implicitly mean to create, quote, the next Pac-Man, and respond in kind as it did to Shigeru Miyamoto and Takashi Tezuka, then any game can do the same to any one if that one is given enough exposure. What that means ultimately is that the line between fan and maker is a function of time, skill, and effort. It's the quality of the product that puts some one on one side of the line versus the other. However, we can't just talk about the quality of the maker, we have to talk about the quality of the made, the characteristics of the made, which brings us to the question, what is a fan game? Now, for the reasons we've discussed, it is not reasonable at this point in history to argue that the line between game and fan game is in any way a reflection of the quality of the end product. AM2R is at least as sophisticated a remake of Metroid 2 as Metroid Samus Returns is, but the latter is a game and the former is a fan game. It's not the quality, but the legal status of the intellectual property and the endorsement of the license hold that separates the two, not the skill of the developer. A game that bears the seal of approval from the parent corporation of a particular franchise is real, a game that does not is a fan game. Now the point of this lengthy preamble is so that you understand what I'm saying when I say that Mega Man 3, The Robots Are Revolting, is not a fan game. But it's about as close to one as you can get while technically staying on that particular side of that particular line. Mega Man 3 The Robots Are Revolting is the third game we've looked at in this series to bear the title Mega Man 3. The first of these was Mega Man 3 which was spelled on the box Mega Man 3, Arabic numeral, and on the stage select screen Mega Man 3, Roman numeral, and was released for the Nintendo Family Computer and Nintendo Entertainment System. This game codified the franchise formula and remains a perennial favorite. The second of these was Mega Man 3, spelled consistently with a Roman numeral, and which debuted on the Game Boy in 1992. And then there's Mega Man 3, The Robots Are Revolting, or Mega Man 3-3 as we might call it, which debuted for the Microsoft Disk Operating System also in 1992. Now importantly, there was no Mega Man 2 for Mega Man 3, The Robots Are Revolting to follow. Well, if we want to get technical, there were two Mega Man 2s. Mega Man 2 Arabic numeral for the NES and Mega Man 2 Roman numeral for the Game Boy. But neither of those were DOS games, and neither of them had that Rosner Labs touch. Yes, Mega Man 3 The Robots Are Revolting 
is another Steven Rosner project, and yes, it was released by Capcom USA, and yes, top to bottom, this is one of the strangest games I've ever seen. Now before we can examine Mega Man 3 The Robots Are Revolting as a game you can play, we need to understand the context behind it as a piece of intellectual property, and maybe the most important thing that we need to understand is that this was not conceived as a Mega Man game. Now, this is that rare video game IP that began as an entirely unrelated game by an independent company that somehow, someway, convinced some decision maker at the mothership to slap the official seal of approval. Well, sort of. Mega Man 3 The Robots Are Revolting began life as Eco-Man, E-C-O-Man. Eco-Man was Steven Rosner's attempt to take what he had learned developing Mega Man for DOS and, having separated from Capcom, apply it to a creation of his own. Eco-Man was a story about cleaning up the environment, perfectly in tune with how that issue would have been popularly discussed in 1992, when Captain Planet ruled children's television, but before the awesome possum decided to finally kick Dr. Machino's butt. As Norman Caruso recalled in his excellent The Story of Mega Man on DOS video, see the episode description for a link, Rosner had created a platformer concept starring a small man in a hazmat suit and pitched it to a PC publisher called High Tech Expressions. High Tech Expressions happened to have a licensing agreement with Capcom and requested that Rosner change Eco Man to Mega Man. Rosner, of course, having made Mega Man for DOS, said yes, and wouldn't you? Thus, a distinct and original work inspired by Mega Man made by a Mega Man fan who had previously made a Mega Man game, became a Mega Man game, complete with a blue character and box art copied from another Mega Man game. But Mega Man 3 The Robots Are Revolting is not a fan game. Neither was Mega Man for DOS, even though it's easy to think of it as one, and I referred to it as basically one in the Mega Man for DOS episode. My thinking has changed since that episode. Even comparatively, though, I think that Mega Man 3 The Robots Are Revolting is even less of a fan game than is Mega Man for DOS because apart from not feeling like Mega Man, it actively feels like something other than Mega Man. In fact, Mega Man 3 The Robots Are Revolting contains ideas that, properly applied, might represent the first conscious and meaningful break from the Mega Man formula we've yet seen in this series. The heart of Mega Man 3 The Robots Are Revolting is the exploration of large, persistent worlds. The stages Mega Man explores, uh, stages controlled by new robot masters, Wave Man, Blade Man, Torch Man, Shark Man, Bit Man, and Oil Man, are large, characterized by multi-directional scrolling, and do not feature respawning enemies, showing that Rosner had learned at least one lesson from his prior Mega Man for DOS game. 
Whereas most every Mega Man game we've looked at thus far presents a clear path fraught with enemies in the place of obstacles, Mega Man 3 The Robots Are Revolting is at least as much about figuring out where to go as it is what to kill. Mega Man 3 The Robots Are Revolting is open insofar as there is no visible straight line from start to finish, but to call it non-linear would be a stretch. That the path is obtuse does not mean that there is no path, and that discovery of the path is an important part of the game does not mean that the act of discovering the path is enjoyable. Like its predecessor, this game features a complicated control scheme, multiple display options suited to specific graphics adapters, and no music. Death comes quickly in Mega Man 3 The Robots Are Revolting, but the game is merciful enough to not send the player back to the start of the level simply because they couldn't finish navigating the pixel labyrinth in one go. Rosner had also learned to be merciful when making this game. Playing through Mega Man 3 The Robots Are Revolting after eight proper Mega Man games in the franchise's first five years, which offered only gradual innovation, it's difficult not to begin to wonder what potential the series might have outside of its formula. And the concept of an exploratory Mega Man, a non-linear Mega Man, is tremendously appealing. And while Rosner didn't quite get there, there is a hint of that in Mega Man 3, the robots are revolting, that tantalizes those who would be tantalized. What would an exploratory Mega Man a Mega Man that emphasized discovery instead of destruction. Well, we'd find out before the end of the 1990s, but an eternity of iteration lay between that glorious realization and the clunky reality of Mega Man 3 The Robots Are Revolting. Mega Man 3 The Robots Are Revolting is not a Mega Man game. Still, when taking into account how the game feels, all of the problems that persist from the prior Mega Man for Dolls entry, and everything that we said about the prior Mega Man for Dolls entry, it's hard to deny that Mega Man 3 The Robots Are Revolting is not a Mega Man. It's more like a robot that stole Mega Man's skin and now wears him like a suit, much like one of Hideo Kojima's Snatchers. But above all, Mega Man 3 The Robots Are Revolting is not a fan game. Thanks for listening to part 11 of Mega Bluster, our very, very long look at the Mega Man franchise. Music from this episode was sourced from ocremix.org in compliance with that site's content policy. You can find credits and links to the original compositions in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcatcher of your choice. If you didn't, please send it to your enemies to make them feel bad. If you have any feedback you'd like to provide, or if I missed something, you can reach out to clay at guilelessgamer.com. This and other social links are also in the show notes. How long will I keep on fighting? How long will my pain last? Maybe only the X-Buster on my hand knows for sure. <laughs>